0: These are the verses that we attempted to cover last week. 1 Peter three eighteen through 22 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. There's so much just in this one verse. He suffered once for sins. Just once. It took one final sacrifice to pay the price for the sins of the entire human race. The just for the unjust. He's the just. He's the perfect one, the righteous one, the holy one. We are the unjust. He who knew no sin became sin for us that he might bring us to God. Jesus came to this into this world as we're getting ready to celebrate here in a couple of weeks as we celebrate the birth of Christ which we should do every day by the way but it's great to have one day each year where we really put a special emphasis on that, isn't it? That He might bring us to God. That was why He came. In the process of doing that, He, he opened up to us a greater understanding of who God is, what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. In the book of Hebrews, it says that in former times the God spoke to us through His prophets, but in the latter days, the last days, which the last days began 2,000 years ago, by the way, He has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, there are mysteries, things that are not fully understood, but in the New Testament, those mysteries are revealed. Christ came to give us insight and understanding into eternal spiritual things and to bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. We know that His body was severely beaten, as the old expression goes, beaten within an inch of His life, mutilated and then nailed to a cross, but made alive by the Spirit, speaking of the resurrection, by whom He also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine God, long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. 120 years God patiently waited while Noah built the ark. And yet no one repented. And all were lost except for Noah and his family. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, Mr. and Mrs. Noah, Mr. and Mrs. Shem, Mr. and Mrs. Ham and Mr. and Mrs. Japheth. Eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject To him let's pray father we thank you for this time in your word and as we continue with this passage we ask you to uh, pour out your holy spirit upon us give us insight and understanding speak to our hearts and to our minds we pray lord we thank you that you're the good shepherd and you faithfully feed your sheep we ask you to feed us today from your holy scriptures we ask this in jesus name amen gotta turn my fan around tis warm up here heat rises you know I mean, that sounds silly, but it really does. It's hotter up here than it is down there. Well, I didn't, you know, down. It's. I meant meant where you guys are. It's definitely hotter down there. Way hot. So, I believe we left off at verse 19. Actually, verse 20. In 19, it talks about uh, that he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Last week we talked about some of the different theological persuasions regarding the meaning of this scripture. And we cross-referenced that with Ephesians 4, 8, which is taken from Psalm sixty eight eighteen. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Remember Jesus told the thief on the cross, this day you, you will be with me in paradise. Prior to the coming of Christ, prior to the crucifixion and the resurrection, all the, the souls of all dead human beings would go to a place called Sheol or Hades. But there was a division. There was a side for the righteous And again, before Christ, people were still made righteous by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. David, remember in his uh, Psalm 51 where he is confessing and repenting for his sin with Bathsheba and he says to God, I know it's not really the blood of bulls and goats that you desire, but it's the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart. So, there was salvation prior to the coming of Christ because God deals with people based upon the knowledge and information that they've been given. And they had been given the old covenant. Salvation has always been by faith. And so the the righteous dead would go to a place called Abraham's bosom you remember the parable that jesus told of a guy named lazarus not the lazarus that he raised from the dead but another guy named lazarus who was a poor beggar and he was all covered with sores remember the story and he would sit outside the gate of this rich man's house and beg for alms as people went by and the dogs would come along and lick his sores how many of you ever had a dog lick your sore my dog licked my sore recently they just, is something they do. Because they love you. So Lazarus dies and he goes to Abraham's bosom. Shortly thereafter, the rich man dies and he goes to the other side, the hot side. Remember the story? And so, we could say that although it wasn't the permanent dwelling place of the righteous, Abraham's bosom up until the coming of Christ, was paradise. Originally the Garden of Eden was paradise. Man and woman lost their paradise. But in God's grace and mercy, at the death of the physical body, He would send the righteous to Abraham's bosom. Jesus told the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. While we talked about the various understandings of this passage, and I'm not going to go over them all again today. The one thing we can pretty well understand for a certainty is that Christ did ascend or descend uh, between His death and resurrection in His spirit form, if you will. He descended and preached to the souls there in one or both sides of Sheol. Sheol. And then those that had been on the Abraham's bosom side, he led captivity captive. In other words, he took the souls of the righteous with him to heaven. But there is something else going on here as well, which is often the case with God's word. It's a multi-layered document because it's written by the creator of all things. At the end of verse 19 here, we read about the spirits in prison. And Peter, I believe, gives us an explanation starting in verse 20. Who formerly were disobedient. We talked last week about the fact that we have one opportunity for salvation that comes in this life. So we're not talking about Jesus going and preaching to lost souls and giving them an opportunity then to be saved. And it would appear that He did go because it says they were the disobedient spirits. Spirits in prison, and again the word prison has obviously a negative connotation, we're told they were disobedient. The reason that he would have gone to preach to them would not be to give them a second chance for salvation, but simply to prove to them that God is a just and merciful and gracious God and that their refusal to acknowledge Him, to believe in Him, to embrace Him, means according to Romans chapter 1, that they are without excuse. That would have been the purpose. Not to give them another opportunity to be saved. That opportunity comes in this life. It is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. Okay, they were disobedient when once the long-suffering, the divine God, long-suffering, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So, the most common understanding of what Peter is talking about here is that he is referring to the angels in Genesis chapter six who, according to the King James Version, kept not their first estate. These would be the fallen angels who came down and cohabitated with human women. Second Peter two four for if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, the world of Noah's day, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Notice in this verse in 2 Peter 2, 4, he mentions fallen angels and ungodly men. And he refers to them as the angels who sinned. So these are the fallen angels who sinned grievously by cohabitating with women as described in Genesis 6, 1 through 4. And apparently, according to what Peter and other biblical writers indicate, they were confined immediately to hell, literally called Tartarus, And that was a prison holding them until their final judgment because of the gross nature of their sin. Jude 1.6 The angels who did not keep their proper domain or first estate but left their own abode which would have been in heaven with God. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now we know that not all fallen angels, have been put in chains. So again, that is indicative of the extreme nature of their sin and their attempt to corrupt uh, the human genome, human DNA by intermingling with these human women which produced the giants. Now, again, he references, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah... We already mentioned this, but God gave Noah 120 years, and while he was building the ark, giving people an opportunity, in spite of their gross wickedness and sinfulness, he gave them an opportunity to repent. We spoke recently from this third chapter of 1 Peter about suffering for doing good, being persecuted for righteousness. Noah is a prime example as they mocked him as and uh um, cursed him during that 120-year period as he was building the ark. All the time he was preaching repentance and coming judgment, building an ark, he would have gladly shared. The people mocked him and cursed him. So eight souls were saved. Noah, his wife, the three sons and daughters-in-law. And Peter, remember, told us that we are highly privileged. It's a blessing. We are highly privileged to suffer for righteousness' sake. And so we see Noah's blessing. After the flood of judgment came upon the earth, he and his family were spared, they were saved, they were safe in the ark. Which the ark is a type of Christ. It represents the safety and protection that we receive when we receive Christ. Everyone else died, but they lived. And this is where he begins now to talk about the water. He says, Through water. They were saved through water. We know as the waters rose, the ark rose with the waters. They were protected and safe and sheltered in that ark. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. What is that antitype? Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, But the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have to put this whole picture together because some, there are certain denominations that teach you could receive Christ, confess your sins, repent, which according to the Scriptures, at that point, you're born again. You are a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. But there are some denominations that teach you're still vulnerable until you're baptized. There is no act that we can do that saves us. It was Christ's death on the cross. We do not believe at Calvary chapels. Not just this one, but I mean, there could be an odd one out there somewhere, but our official position is that baptism doesn't save you. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. But some people have taken, some denominations have taken this verse and made the case that you're not fully saved until you're baptized. So that's why we need to look at the whole verse. First of all, Peter points out that it's not a washing of the flesh. And again, just like communion, when we take communion, there are some groups that teach that the juice or the wine turns literally into blood, the blood of Christ. And that the the matzo or a cracker or a wafer or whatever you use turns into the flesh of Christ in your stomach. Which someone pointed out to me, we talked about that verse from Hebrews where if someone having tasted of the good things of God, of the Holy Spirit, of God's grace, His love, and then turns away from it, it's impossible for them to come back again because they are crucifying Christ all over again. And essentially when you believe in a literal transubstantiation that those elements become literally the flesh and blood of Christ in your stomach, you could make the case that that's like crucifying Him all over again. You could make that argument. They're symbols. The juice doesn't save you. The the cracker doesn't save you because we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. And the baptism doesn't save you. So we're going to talk about how that all fits together here. Notice a very important element at the end of the verse. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You could take communion all day long, every day. You could be baptized every day. If Christ hadn't risen from the dead, none of it would mean anything. It's the fact that He conquered death. He became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and He conquered death. 1 Peter 3.21 I'm going to read from the NIV. It's a little. I like it a little bit better. Here we go. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you are baptized, you're identifying with Christ in His resurrection. As you go under the water, that symbolizes burial. And when you come out of the water, that symbolizes resurrection. And when you're baptized, you're making a public statement that you believe that even as Christ died for your sins and rose again, that you too will one day be raised from the dead according to the promise of God's Word. So Peter's not teaching that salvation comes through baptism. He clarifies the statement by saying it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9. Again, that's why it's important that we study all the Scriptures, not just certain ones here and there, but the whole counsel of God. As the Apostle Paul When he was giving his farewell address to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, where he had spent three years, the longest amount of time he spent in any one church, teaching and training the people there and the elders, he was passing back by on his way. And he stopped. They actually came and met him at the port. And he told them, my conscience is clear, just like what Peter is talking about here. He said, "My, the blood of no man is on my hands, for I have not failed to bring to you the whole counsel of God. Some parts of Scripture are more fun to study than others. Uh, we did a study several years ago when we were over in the Skyview Center. So that's going back before 2009. Uh, in the book of Leviticus. That's a, that's a challenge. Numbers, Leviticus... Some of those, but you know what? God put them there for a reason, and if he went to all the trouble to give us those scriptures, we need to study them. And we do. Romans 10.9. So here we, the Apostle Paul helps us to bring balance to what Peter's telling us here. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth, that's why it's really important at some point preferably sooner rather than later, to make some kind of a public confession, profession. That's why many churches, including ours, we give opportunity at the end of the service for people to come forward to receive prayer. If someone is here and they've made a decision on that particular day to to come and receive Christ as Lord and Savior, then they're coming and they're telling that person or people that are praying for them, I want to receive Christ. I want to become a Christian. I want to become a disciple of Christ. That is a. It may not be in front of a large group. It might just be a couple people that are praying with you. But it's important to confess with your mouth. There's a scripture, I forget exactly where it is. I think it's in the Psalms, but it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's important that we make it known verbally to our family, our friends, co-workers, whoever it might be. If you've had a true conversion experience in Christ, it should be something you'd want to share. Shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed of it. And it's important to galvanize and strengthen your faith for you to be able to know that you've done that. Yes, I have confessed with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you've never done that, if if you're here today and you consider yourself to be a believer, but you really can't think of a time when you've ever really verbalized it, I would encourage you to do that today. Come up at the end when we give the opportunity for prayer. If you're here with someone else or you know somebody here today, grab them and say, hey, you know what, I need to do that. I need to just speak it out. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, and on the third day he rose from the dead. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and that's critical. We talked about this yesterday in the memorial service for our brother Dick. There are a lot of people who will acquiesce. To the idea, oh yes, Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher, good role model, good example. Now, Son of God, I don't think I could go there. And rising from the dead, I don't think so. But you see, the very heart of the message that Jesus imparted to his apostles, his disciples, was to go out and be witnesses of what? The resurrection. Because that's what separates the God from the boys. You see, the fact that He rose from the dead and He lives forevermore and has promised the same to those who would believe in Him and trust in Him. So, this is critical. Believe. uh, If you confess with your mouth, if you're too embarrassed to say it out loud, then I would suspect maybe you haven't had a true conversion. You might be religious. You may have had a religious experience. You might consider yourself to be a religious person. But unless you have confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart, not just that He's a good person, good teacher, good man, rabbi, you know, one of the ascended masters. Have you ever heard that terminology that's used in New Age circles? You know, another... One of the many manifestations of the Christ consciousness. but they, they can do a great job with some verbal gymnastics, I'll tell you. No, it's critical that you believe that God has raised Him from the dead. And then if you do, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, according to the Apostle Paul, who is speaking with divine authority, you will be saved. Unless you haven't been baptized yet. Now, I'm not mocking baptism. I think the scriptures obviously teach everyone should be baptized. So if you haven't, I would encourage you to do that. Let us know if you haven't been baptized and you're interested in doing that and we will make arrangements to make sure that you have been because I think it's an important step in a person's discipleship, their spiritual growth. And again, it's a public statement whether it's in front of one person or a hundred. But in and of itself, apart from this saving faith that has been so clearly defined for us in many passages of the New Testament, baptism is just another empty ritual. But when it's coupled with a genuine saving faith in Christ, then it's extremely important and extremely meaningful. He says it's not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Just like Jesus said, you know, it's not what's on the outside that makes us dirty. It's what's in our hearts. It's not the water that removes our sin. It's the blood of Christ. Matthew 15, 11, Jesus says, Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words we speak are indicative of what's in our heart. That's why it's important to confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the title of the message, this is part two, It's the answer. And now we're going to get into the answer. He says it's not the removal of the filth of the flesh. It's not merely an outward thing. What did Jesus call the uh, Pharisees? Because they were hypocrites. They were phonies. He said you're like whitened Sepulchres. A sepulchre is a grave. It's a tomb. Just like the one Jesus was buried in. And what they would do is they would periodically, after a while, the tombs would get kind of ragged and, you know, weathered, and they would periodically go and whitewash the outside of the tomb to make it look nicer as a way of honoring and remembering the dead. Jesus said, You're like whitened sepulchres. You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. It's not the um, outward removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer, and another word that could be used here, another translation, the answer or pledge. The answer, pledge, or appeal. It's an agreement to certain conditions or demands. The person who gets baptized does so with the pledge to live out the reality of baptism. The answer or pledge of a good conscience towards God. Ideally, baptism is a public statement from which there is no turning back. And while it does not save us in and of itself, it is essential to a life of commitment, holiness, and dedication to God. The pledge or the answer of a good conscience toward God. So baptism is the symbol of what has already occurred in the heart and life of one who has trusted Christ as Savior. The knowledge that we've publicly proclaimed our faith through baptism, severing our ties with the old life, the old world, like Noah, enables us to walk with a clear conscience. Not that we're never going to sin again or stumble again. James says we all stumble in many ways. We're encouraged by many of the New Testament writers to, to regularly practice confession of sin and repentance. First John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the pledge, the answer, the appeal of a good conscience toward God you know you're in right standing with God, right relationship. And He is faithful by His Holy Spirit. Whenever anything comes into our life that begins to threaten that relationship and mar the conscience, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to our hearts. He comes not to condemn, but to convict. The devil comes to convict. The thief comes, but to kill, to steal and destroy. John 10.10. But the Holy Spirit comes to help us. We've talked a lot lately about maintenance, maintaining our relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to help us with that. Finally, verse 22 here. This is speaking of Christ, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven. So where is Jesus? He's in heaven at the right hand of God angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Romans eight thirty three and 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. So we know where he is. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing up there? He's making intercession. That means he's praying for us. That's pretty awesome. Do you ever think about that, that Jesus is actually praying for you? He knows everything going on in our hearts, our minds, our lives. At the same time, he wants to hear from us. And when we pray, he hears and he intercedes for us. He's not up there floating on a cloud playing a harp. Or conducting training sessions on how to walk on water. And I'm sure Peter would have been the first to sign up if they did have that class. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. This takes us back to the early part of the chapter where Peter talks about Enduring persecution for righteousness' sake. Jesus endured the cross despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, reminding us of what He endured. But again, He did it for us. But He also could see the end game. The big picture. That at the end of the suffering was glory. Glorification. What has happened? He's at the right hand of God and the angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. So he who was mocked and cursed and beaten, mutilated, mauled, nailed to a cross is now the master of the universe. Angels, authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Whether they be fallen angels or God's angels, or even Satan himself. Through the suffering and humiliation Jesus endured on this earth. He has been exalted to the highest place of honor in the universe. Philippians 2, nine, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And by the way, he has promised that those who put their faith in Him would share with Him in His glory. That we are joint heirs with Christ. You and I too, as believers, will one day be glorified. Exalted. Now, we'll not, we're never going to be God because only God is God. But God has graciously agreed to share his glory with us, his eternal treasures with us. We, like Jesus, will have eternal, immortal, glorified, incorruptible, imperishable bodies. We'll never die again. We'll never be sick again. How how, how does that sound? We'll never have sorrow again. He will wipe away every tear. From our eyes. And all it takes is a willingness on our part to endure the trials and tribulations that come with being a committed, dedicated, serious, sincere follower of Christ. And any um, so-called gospel that preaches a message that doesn't include suffering in this life is not the true gospel there are some out there some groups some teachers preachers churches that will tell you if you just have enough faith you won't ever get sick you won't ever be poor you can have or as the uh, once infamous reverend ike said He was one of these prosperity preachers. He was kind of like a pioneer, Reverend Ike. He says, you can have your pie in the sky now with ice cream on top. (laughs) That's not the true message of the gospel. It's not the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we come up on the Christmas season, we're reminded that he, he wasn't born in a palace, even though he's the king of kings, right? He was born in a stable. No room at the inn with all the animals. And you know, when we see it depicted in a wonderful animated film, there's one out now called The Star, I think. Or you see it in a live action. So many movies have been made about the birth of Christ, the nativity, one of the more recent ones, one of the maybe one of the better ones. But it's always, you know, it's, It's very um, romantic, glamorous when it's depicted on a silver screen. But in reality, it was a very lowly birth. So the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me read that Hebrews verse again. Looking unto Jesus. So that means He's our role model. He's our example. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Right now as we're walking with Christ in this world, and we're living for God, the story of our faith is being written. He's the author. And it began when He came into this world and died on the cross for our sins. And that story is continuing to be written as we follow Him and live for Him, live with Him. And He is the finisher. He is the one who will enable us to make it to the finish line and then reach that eternal state of glorification where we will dwell with Him forever in paradise. That's the message that Peter's bringing forth here. But he's the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross despising the shame but then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's the message for you and I this morning that If we are to partake in the eternal riches, treasures, glories that have been promised to us in Christ, what did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, if you want to be one of my disciples, deny yourself, come after me. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so as we go through life, there are going to be burdens that we would have to bear that we might not have to bear if we weren't following Jesus. The devil is the master of the shortcut. But the shortcut does not lead to heaven. It leads to hell. It's a narrow path, Jesus said. It's a narrow gate. Few there be that enter therein. Isn't that interesting? Few there be that enter therein. We should never take for granted or take lightly what God has given us in Christ. Because out of the billions of people that have inhabited this planet over the last 6,000 years, few there be that enter therein. Don't take it lightly, don't take it for granted, and don't squander it, don't trade it for anything. The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is the most precious gift you'll ever receive. I kind of wish I'd have saved this message for Christmas Eve morning. But there it is. <laughs> Again. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And by the way, that's where we will live as well. Where we are to live. Ephesians 2, 4-6 But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved. There it is again. And raised up together, raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So even now, we've not yet received our eternal, immortal, glorified bodies. These bodies, unless the Lord comes first, which could very well happen, these bodies will expire. But, In Christ, because He's in us, we're in Him. Where is He? He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. So spiritually speaking, we're there with Him. Wow, if we would really think about that every day, that could have a major impact on how we live, couldn't it? (laughs) We live as though, well, God's pretty far away there and He's probably pretty busy. He probably didn't see what I just did, right? No, we're right there at the right hand of the Father in Christ. That's that's good news. Because that means that you and I are above the circumstances. You ever had somebody, uh, you, you say, how you doing, man? And he goes, well, oh, okay, under the circumstances. The proper response is to say, what are you doing under there? <laughs> because in Christ, we're way above the circumstances. We just need to be reminded of that on a regular basis. We're already there. This is, this is just, uh, you know, getting rid of these bodies, no big deal. And then it's on to paradise. Let's stand. And let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time together today. Thank you for your word. It's so powerful, it's so dynamic, it's so earth shattering and life changing pray for anyone here today, Father, that may not have that assurance of salvation. They may be questioning, doubting, uncertain. I pray that today they might take a leap of faith and trust Christ as the Savior of their souls, that they would receive Jesus and be born again by the Spirit of God, confessing their sins, repenting, and becoming a truly dedicated, committed, disciple of Christ. And Lord, you know every heart here today. You know everything going on in the lives of each and every person, which is awesome and amazing in and of itself that you're never too busy for us. You never run out of uh, grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. So we just pray, God, that each one here today, whatever is going on in, in their lives, that you would pour out your Spirit upon them Bless them. And Lord, for those who really would desire to come and receive prayer today, that you'd help them to make that short trip up to the front and take advantage of that opportunity to be prayed for, prayed with. Because Lord, you've promised if we would ask anything of the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, that that prayer would be heard. So Lord, as we close now, we just pray that you'd Give us safe travel home or to lunch or wherever we're going. Bless our fellowship, those that choose to stick around and fellowship, have some coffee or a donut or whatever it might be. Bless the fellowship, bless the food. And we pray, God, that uh, you would uh, really minister to those who come forward now, that they would leave here today encouraged, strengthened, uplifted, filled with your joy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.